Uh, we have been in chapter 12, and of course, um, most of you, and I just keep us, our minds together in terms of what it is that we have been looking at and what it is that we're concentrating on in terms of chapter 12, and then also those of you who are kind of coming in a little bit later, not quite sure where we are, at the very beginning of uh, chapter 12, we find the word, therefore, which links us back to chapter 11. Chapter 11 talks in the last three or four verses, beginning in verse 33, going through 36, talks about uh, a praise, a doxology to God, a praise to God. And it explains that our life is through God, it's from God, and everything that we have that basically makes the beauty of our life is of God. So we go back to Him, we come from Him, is all that we have. His mind is in total control of the universe, including our own lives. Because of that, the little word therefore comes in verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, because of that, it is our reasonable sacrifice, it is our reasonable worship to come to the Lord and present to him our life. Because he is all of these things, it is, it is reasonable for us to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Okay? So that is the way chapter 12 starts, and it's one of the very, very well-known passages in the Word of God. In other words, because God is God, we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Of course, we've looked at that. It also says in another, uh, in the next verse, that you and I are not to be conformed to what the world has told us to be. We are to be conformed to what God has told us to be. Then it goes on to say in verse 3, that you and I are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the word renewing basically means to come alongside of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to actively, along with your own mind, to actively try to have your life changed by Him. So that is basically your reasonable service because of what we saw in chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Now, if you don't really keep that in mind, if that's not something that is really paramount in your mind, the idea of transforming your life on a day-to-day basis, moment by moment, idea by idea, focus by focus, really won't come about. <clears throat> because you and I will just gather ourselves into our own selves and decide what it is that we're going to do and how we're going to live and what are the plans for our lives and just work our way through our life. But after Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it goes into enormous particulars about what a transformed man looks like. So it doesn't give you any little, you know, this this is not an ideal concept. It's not a concept that's left way up in these clouds, transformed man. That's a really hard concept to get a hold of. It begins to give you particulars. And last week we looked at 12 of the particulars that were basically addressed to us. This week we're going to look at 11 of them that address those. The first 12 had a great deal to do with our own personal spiritual walk. The second 12, or second 11, sorry about the noise, but this happens when you're in church. church. We're little children, and we have more children than big people. Uh, But what we have in the second group of 11 talks about how we relate to people. 
does a transformed man look like as he deals with people on a day-to-day basis? What are some of the actions and reactions that a transformed man should have? So those are, those are the things that are being fought through and taken through. But you can look at these two sets of lists, and they're 12 and 1 and 11 and another, and then, you know, and then we go on to chapter 13 where it talks about how we react to the government as a transformed man. And you can start looking at these lists and you get overwhelmed. Or you start thinking in terms of uh, do's and don'ts. If you don't go back to chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, and don't go back to chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, you'll get lost in the list. You're not to be lost in the list. Because your heart has to be focused on who God really is. And focused upon your love for him. Allow that love to help you actively participate with his life within your own life, change you on a day-to-day basis. If you lose the love, if you lose the love, then you get locked into the list. Okay? And the list becomes do's and don'ts and becomes a hypocrisy. And this is something that you and I have got to really get close to because I, I go over this list and a lot of times I, I, I really do. I start thinking, I don't do I don't do that. I need more work on that one, you know. And all of a sudden it becomes well. Tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and do this when the activity of the Holy Spirit is not even a part of the action that's going on. It's not driven by love. It's driven by a self righteousness. And so this is something that has to be really held on to as we look at this particular set of verses. Okay? Now, one of the ways that you do this is to concentrate on passages in the Word of God that help you focus upon this love. Because it is what drives a man to be transferred. It is what drives a man to present himself as a living sacrifice. No man is going to present himself as a living sacrifice to God unless there is a deep understanding of what that love is. You're not going to do that. It is too painful to do that. <coughs> and, and and by the way, God will ask you, will often ask us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. He will, he will drive you into a corner and say, are you willing to do this? And you'll find that very often our love and our understanding of God's love for us is not strong enough. And we'll say no. But those are things that we have to really examine because that's what God is really asking. Because when we go through this list, you'll realize that it's very particular, it's very much on mark, and it's very, very in an area that you don't want to change it. And these are things that drive us into the corners. When God asks us to be these things, then we don't want to be. The only way you can be them is to go back up to 11, chapter 11, verse 33 through 36, and realize who God is and how much he loves you. Last week I shared with you Ephesians chapter 1. How God says he lavished his, lavished his love upon us. And it tells all the things that you and I will have in God. And that helps keep us our, keeps our mind in, in tune. And then we can go back to 12 verse 1 through 3 and say, okay, now I can present myself as a living sacrifice. I know of your love. I understand of your love. I know where you're driving me. I know where you're taking me. I know what I'm going to do, what my destiny is, what you're giving to me now. How how can I not be presenting myself? So I will share another one with you. Okay, 
Another place that I go to sometimes that I was reading last night, okay, in terms of keeping my mind on the love, not losing the love, so I not get locked into the list. Okay? This is Zephaniah. Zephaniah <coughs> chapter 3. Uh, you can really begin in verse 11, but I'm going to begin in verse 14. <coughs> This is about the second coming. It's about the second coming. And it is written directly to Israel, but it includes every one of us who are the new Israel. So it's directly written to Israel, but it includes all of us who are part of the new Israel. You and I are the children of God, those who believe in God, and his children. And it's a reaction, in this particular set, it is a reaction of God to us. It's explaining God's emotions and feelings about us coming home. Okay? So so it gives you, in a place where very often you don't get it, uh, the kind of the reaction of God to his own second coming. Okay? And how he feels about you and I. And what he's going to do in some of those things. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph. O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, because the day is come. Okay. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. Now, if you read verses 11 and 12, you'll notice that a lot of the judgments have to do particularly with every man's sin. Every man's sin. Okay. So it says, on that day you will feel, verse 11, you will feel no shame because of all your deeds which you have rebelled against me, for I will remove them from your heart. Okay. One of the greatest promises, one of the greatest things that I can understand uh, in terms of the Word of God is that I know my own sin. I know how off I am. Okay? So off. And the idea of standing before God and looking Him in the eye and feeling shame on my part would not want the second, I would not want the second coming to come. And as I've studied the Word of God time and time and time again, I have understood that for a Christian there is no condemnation. There is no shame. You and I will stand blameless before the Lord on that day. He will burn up everything that is evil within us and we will clap with our hands and shout for joy. There will not be anything except joy written on our face. We will shout in triumph we will rejoice within our heart. Because all that we are will be removed. And that's because of his love. Because we didn't do one solitary thing to remove it. Okay? And all of us who are broken and all of us feel those things many, many times when we go down and you know, a lot of different things and, and you just feel inside you're not, you know, I, I'm not only sure I want to see God because we're not. This is, this is a reassurance on his part 
or the removal of all. And that when he sees you, when he sees you and me, there will be no condemnation. There will be nothing but shouting and rejoicing. Okay? And that's a beautiful view that his judgment, your judgments will be removed. And that is driven by his love for us. It goes on. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. That's why it'll all be gone. And you will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Let not your hands fall out. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is the victorious warriors. He is the one who has brought this all about. Nobody else. And then it says, He will exalt <coughs> you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And that last verse basically sums it all up. When he sees you, he will rejoice. When he sees you, he will be quieted within himself because of his love for you. All of that's been proven in terms of those things. It'll be a thing of beauty to him. And it'll be a thing of deep love. He will be quiet himself, within himself. His own love will be quiet because of his love for you. Now that, folks, is what we mean by causing your eye to be focused upon the love. To present yourself as a living sacrifice. To not be conformed, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You cannot do any of those things in that list. You cannot allow God to transform you and to present yourself as a living sacrifice until you experience and understand this love. The love drives you into presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. So I keep bringing us back to that each time as the, as the point of beginning. Because if you don't understand that and you don't have that inside and if there's not passage after passage after passage in the Word of God that you can go to, and pray over and exalt in it and feel the presence of God in terms of that love, there's no way in God's green earth you're ever going to present yourself to Him as a living sacrifice. No way. Because a lot of times it is, it is, it's, it is too much. It is too much. So you've got, you've got to get a hold of that, and that is what's got to drive us. And that's why this is the way it's set up in this passage. And every single point of that list has to go back to that love or you'll get yourself lost and hooked into a kind of self-righteousness okay. and again we mentioned that uh, we're going to turn back to chapter 12 now <clears throat> in verse 9 it says at the very beginning of the beginning of these lists it basically points out to you you and I have got to love, love, let love rule here and there has to be no hypocrisy in it and so those are the things that guide man in terms of these lists. Okay, now let's move beginning with 14, verse 14. We already went through 9 through 13 last week. And 9 through 13 last week were 12 different, 12 different characteristics. 12 different characteristics okay, of action that help define what a transformed man is. These are areas that a man can work in. 
And also, it's, it's a way for you to go back, instead of having this big, huge, nebulous, idealistic picture of a transformed man, it can go down to the warp and the wound of every man's life and explain to him, now, in this particular area, this is what happens. This is what you, as a transformed man, are to do. You're to engage your mind and allow the Holy Spirit to cause you to present yourself as a living sacrifice at this particular instant, in this particular situation, and let him change you. Okay? And instant after instant after instant, characteristic after characteristic, is so you have no vague concept. Okay? It's very, very definite. Very, very important. out. Okay? <clears throat> Beginning in verse 14 through 21. Now, I'm not going to read these right this minute, because we're going to go through each one of them. But there are 11 of them. Beginning in verse 14 through 21. Verse 21 is a key to the other in front of them. <clears throat> Okay. Verse 21 is a, is a kind of backdoor key to looking at these particular things. It is a kind of practical application of how it is a transformed man is to react in certain given situations. So this becomes the basic principle, verse 21, in terms of all these other characteristics. Now again, almost all these characteristics have to do with you working with people. Okay, You working with people. Most of the other ones had to do with you working within the body of Christ, but also with your own personal life. Okay, like being devoted to prayer. All these seem to be dealing with how are you going to handle the people that are around you as a transformed man who is in love with God and presenting himself as a living sacrifice. How are you going to do that? Okay? Well, one of the key principles, the way you're going to do that is you're to not you do not be overcome by evil, and you overcome evil with good. Okay, that's the principle. When you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with people, when we go through the definite um, particulars here, but one of the major principles is you're not to become overcome by evil, you're to overcome evil with good. Now, this is offensive and defensive. Most of us live in the defensive, very few of us live in the offensive of this principle. Okay. The defense is, don't let evil overcome you. So you spend a lot of time kind of, you know, looking at things that are coming into your life and praying through them and bringing scriptures to the mind and, and not allowing yourself to get into the problems of evil. You know, you turn the TV off, you don't go to the shows, you, do, you know, you do different things that allow, you know, a word spoken to you and you don't necessarily speak it back. And the different kinds of things that you would do in terms of evil that would come into your life. Okay? The other thing this verse, however, says is what most of us don't do. You're to overcome evil with good. This is offensive. So not only are you protecting yourself from evil as it comes into your life, you're literally advancing on evil with good. So every single one of these particulars that we find, beginning in verse 14, that have to do with relationships, there is a defense and there is an offense. Most of us live in the defense, very few of us live in the offense. Okay? So we're going to go through each one of these and look at them and see how these principles work themselves out. Okay? And again, we're looking at a man who is transformed by the renewing of his mind. That means he brings the Holy Spirit into his life, 
He allows the Holy Spirit to talk to him about these particular things on a day-to-day basis. He allows the Holy Spirit to actively work with him in these particular things and transfer him. Because he has presented himself as a living sacrifice. He doesn't want to be conformed to the world. And he loves Jesus. Okay? That's what's going on. <clears throat> bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Alright. There is a potential for evil. There is a potential for evil in this that you're to guard against. Every single one of these, you can ask the question, what's the potential for evil? And that is what you are defensively guarding against. Okay? Now, let's make this a lot more practical. These verses are principles, but you, if you put them down into the actual situation that they're occurring in, you can see what's going on here. Let me just ask you a question. Uh, just put it in your own mind. Who makes your life miserable? Who irritates you? Is there anybody in your life that irritates you? Who causes your life to have a certain irksomeness to it? Okay? That's what it's talking about. It is talking about that group of people who essentially irritate you when you walk into their presence. You're not even sure why sometimes, but they just irritate you. Okay? Now, there is not a single person in this room that doesn't have somebody that irritates them. Because we all have different personalities. And each personality's got a definite group that irritate them. Okay? And these these actually can be a group. I mean, there's a whole group of them. You know? And uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, and I can name exactly who irritates me. You know? And, and like you said, it's not one, there's a group of them. I just line up the characteristics that irritate me. Okay? And in this particular verse, there's a potential for evil. There's a potential for evil that I must guard against as a transformed man. And that potential is, is that I will curse them. That I will curse them. I'll belittle them. I'll not want to be any part with them. I'll ignore them. I'll set them aside. It's almost as though I would say to them, I could care less about you. I wish that you would just disappear. It's almost like you were damned in the hell. And you wouldn't say that in your mind. But what you're really saying is, is, poof, I wish you were gone. <coughs> and what you're really saying to them is, is, poof, I wish your life was not even here. <laughs> you know, if God would just remove you off the face of the earth, I would feel better. Okay? And that's essentially cursing them. That's the potential for evil. That's the potential for evil. As a transformed man, God says, when you deal with people, and you definitely deal with people like this every single day, he says, you cannot act like that. Because that's not the way I act. As a transformed man, in the particulars of your life, this is an area you've got to address. Okay? Now, 
Again, what's that's the potential for evil. That's the defense. Well, what is the offense? Now, this is really distasteful. What I mean is, is when you go to the defense, you go, okay, okay, all right, I, I won't curse it. Okay? But the very next verse tells you to do, I mean, the very part of the offense is to do what? The blessing. If I, I, can, I can segregate them. You know, I can put them around. You know, you're in the back row. You know, you open your mouth and you're out. But you can sit in my classroom. Okay? You know, I'll grade the paper or, you know, whatever. You know, you know, I can, I can kind of build a wall around the irksomeness of it. And that's, that way I don't curse them. But this says that I am actively to be involved. And bless them. And that's the offense. And that's that's something. That's what a transformed man does. So God doesn't leave this in a nebulous. What does this mean? He tells you exactly what it means. He tells you exactly what it means. What it looks like. Now, there are about three guys, three people that immediately come to mind when I think of this verse. The minute this guy walks into the room, I go, just little chills run over my, you know. You know, I, I hope that he's just going to be in here for about two seconds and leave. But he's not. That's one of the irksomest things about it. He wants to sit down and talk. Okay? And he and I are just, you know, we're, we are completely and totally on different levels. He has no drive whatsoever in terms of anything, <laughs> you know, and all, and he's always dreaming up things that he thinks he's going to do and be, and he never is any of them, you know, and, and I kind of just want to take him and shake him by his teeth and say, get a life, wake up, you know, he had a car wreck, you know, and he came, you know, that didn't affect him, almost killed him, you know, he was out of school, for a bit, you know, anyway, He's at OU, and he, he's always coming back. I mean, of all the kids coming back, he's always coming back. And, and I go, there it is. And so I defend myself when he comes in the room by not cursing him. What I mean is, is that I don't, you know, I don't say anything bad to him. I try not to hurt him you know, in terms of what I say. But I definitely, definitely don't reach out to bless him. So that's an interesting rule into what's going on. What a transformed man was. Interesting way you stated. Don't reach out to bless him because the tendency is to reach out you want to slap him. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to kick this off. It's burning up in here. You guys might, might open the door there and see if it'll pop open. I don't know. We've got to see it's burning up. <coughs> Okay, I, I, we may not get through all of these, but you can see what's going on here. Let's look at the next one. Rever, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What's the potential for evil? Potential for evil. Rejoice for those who rejoice. Basically what this is saying is, is a person who has success... You don't like it. That's potential for evil. Okay? 
In other words, when they're rejoicing over their success, you're going in your mind, I suppose I could have done that. I wish that God would do that for me. I find that, as a Christian, the biggest. You know, you hear Billy Graham, or you hear this guy, or that guy, or this guy, or that guy. God's doing so many things in his life, and so many things are working and swinging. And inside, the first thing in your mind that comes across your mind is, man, I wish I had that. Okay? And that's exa- that's the potential for evil. You've got to guard against that. Okay? It's the first thing that comes across your mind. It's the first thing that you've got to get a hold of. But the offense is that you literally rejoice with them. You go in and you enjoy them and give them a party. You're actively involved in their rejoicing. The defensive, we all we have to, we all know that it's wrong. And we have to work with it. But to actually participate in the rejoicing, that's that's another step. That's a harder thing to do. That's exactly what's being talked about here. Weep with those who weep. Now, if you work at the word weep, and if you look at this and study it, it really has to do with those people who, in some ways, you look down upon because of their sorrow. Okay? In other words, you think them as being weak <coughs> because they are in the middle of a problem that you think they ought to solve. How many times has that gone across your mind? It goes across your mind all the time. With all sorts of people. Buck up, little trooper. It isn't that bad. That that rolls through your mind a thousand times. Shape up. This isn't that big. I mean, good grief. I saw this person over here, and yours is just a little teeny and you're weak a little bit. Shape up. You know? So you don't have any empathy. You have nothing. So you guard against that. You guard against that's the potential for evil. Okay? But the but the but the opposite of that, okay, the the offense is is to participate in their weeping. Have enough empathy in your heart that you come down into their heart before they hurt. You weep. That's a transformed man. Now, as we go through each one of these, hopefully you can pick out some that God would want you to think about. And I I really see in in professions and in schools and different places where you are, each person, this is a, you know, there's this big heavyweights in here. Okay? Like in the healing profession, to weep with those who weep. I mean, I would think that that would be a strong one. Because at day after day after day, you you work with people who are, who are hurting, and eventually you become callous to. I mean, that one hit me right on the nose. So each one of us will have to grab what we feel are those things that are part of us. Okay. Uh, this this one particularly uh, verse sixteen. There are three of them in this one. I want to skip it because we're running out of time. Because I want to get to some other ones. But you can go back to it. Be of the same mind toward one another. This actually goes back to verse 10. That we talked about last week. About what it means to not be haughty. In terms of your own development as Christians together. 
unity and what unity means. Unity is not one singleness of idea, but a harmony of ideas. Okay, that we talked about last week. Not everybody has to be on the same track. Okay, but there can be a harmony. Unity doesn't mean one idea. It actually means a, a, a beauty of tapestry of one concept, but everybody has a focus around it, like a harmony. Okay. All right, 17, 18, and 19, and 20 all kind of go together, so that's why I wanted to hit on them. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Okay? You can skip down to verse 19 and 20. That, that goes to 19 and 12. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will weep burning coals upon his head. <clears throat> this little passage has to do with those people who are your enemies. Those people who you're having real trouble with. Okay, And there are some definite concepts here that help us handle as a transformed man who's in love with the Lord, who's presenting himself as a living sacrifice, how do you handle an enemy? Okay? How do you handle a man like that? Or a woman like that? Okay? Here are some of the principles that are put forth in this particular verse. Number one, realize that you will have enemies. Okay? Don't glibly go through life thinking that a Christian won't have an enemy. The very naming of God in, in, in a group can cause you to have an enemy. Now, I had a young lady who came back to me uh, from was spring break here, and she was talking to me right before I went on spring break, and she said, SMU, okay, not a Christian school by any means. And she and this young lady are, are working together, and I think I mentioned to her last week that she was the girl who went out and talked to God and told her that she talked to God through this other girl and the girl said, how do you handle these things while I talk to God? And this, and this girl go, what? You heard him actually talk to you? you know, and she went through this whole thing. And she said the very next week, this girl literally tried to kill her in terms of her office and everything. Tried to destroy her name. She literally became a, a, an attacker. Enough to try to completely annihilate any kind of concept of this young lady's prestige, respect, character, anything. She was so vehement against her. And she said, never have I ever mentioned the name of the Lord on such a personal level and had picked up an enemy. I've never known that. Okay. And so, of course, there are other things that are, you know, we have enemies that are not directly related to those things. But how do you do that? But first of all, you have to understand that God is not going to eliminate the, the enemy. He is going to be there. Okay. Right. Next principle. Never, never, never are you to take your own revenge. Never, ever are you to pay Now, that is interesting, because you would expect God to say that, but in truth, in, your, in the first thing that comes into your mind, 
whenever you have somebody's attacked you, attacked you, or you know you've had a disagreement, you go back in your room and you go over and over and over in your mind what you would have done or what you will do. Okay. And if you look at it, you'll spend the next two days running this emotional play over, and most of it has to do with revenge. You wouldn't call it revenge, but that's what it would be. And you spend the next two days running over in your mind what you would have done to counteract this, to attack, okay, to pay back, okay, or what you would have done in terms of what it is you're now going to plan. You dream of pulling the rug out from under this person while they're standing up making a lecture or something, you know, or you know, putting firecrackers in their pockets, or you know, you know, anything, you know, to cause this person to be embarrassed. Okay. Or the next time you see them, what it is you're going to tell them straight out, you know, about how it is that you feel about this whole different situation, and you're going to let them have it one side down the other, and what kind of personality they are, and how demeaning they are, and what they are, and what this, you know, you just won't let them have it. And you rehearse this speech over and over and over in your mind. You add to it, and you re, you know redo it, and replace it. And you got it all memorized. And of course, when you see them, you never do it. But that doesn't mean okay, that doesn't mean that you're not planning your revenge. Okay? The Lord says you're not to spend any energy whatsoever at all on revenge. Never pay back. Now that's 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 not easy. We live in a society where the relationships are the only things that are going on. Okay? There are a lot of times where you have definite things that occur in your life, like a Hitler or something like that. That's something else we'd have to talk about in different things. Okay, uh, those are things that you know we're, we're talking a big, bigger things there. You have to think through. Number two, beloved is a word that's used in this passage. Beloved, and what that really means is remember who you are. You are the beloved. You're a part of the beloved. You belong to the beloved. Remember who you are. Okay? Remember who you are. Okay? Number three. Leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for the wrath of God. Now, I looked at that and popped that through. What does that mean? Leave room for the wrath of God. Okay? I see it in two areas. Okay. First, I see it in time. <coughs> time. What we want to see is a bomb dropped on them the next day. Okay. We want God to strike them with lightning. You know, convict their soul, do something, you know, hit them, you know, send them to prison. <laughs> I don't know, you know, hit them, you know. Leave room. For God in his own time to do what he feels is right. Time is a part of the room. Okay? The second thing that I see in this, that I look through in terms of this, don't crowd God into a corner. Okay? When it says leave room, it's almost as though when we walk into a room and you walk into a room with this person, you fill the room up with your own concept of revenge. And God himself is pushed to the very end of the corner here. 
To me, leaving room for God is literally to back off to doing nothing and allow him to do everything. In other words, you're back in the corner and he's still in the room. He's planning what it is that needs to be planned. He is taking care of the reactions and the reactions. He's taking care of the events and the incidences and the way things will work out because you plan those things out amazingly in your own mind. And it's simply saying, give time, God, time and let him plan what he is to do. And if he wants to bring his wrath to bear, he will. Even if it's at the end of time. <clears throat> and that's what it's saying in terms of enemies. Okay? The last one is the offense. That's all defense. And of course it's the last verse. You must do what God will do. You must overcome evil with good. You have to have an active participation of bringing good to this person. Active participation in bringing good. Now, if you look at this verse, it literally means you examine what the person needs at the base of their heart and you give it to them. If they're hungry, you feed them. And if their soul, there's something that they need that nobody is giving them, you sit home instead of taking revenge, you think in through your own heart what it is this person needs that nobody's giving them. And you actively now pursue to give them that. Now, this is this is transformed man, and we're talking about big area here. We're talking about hard things to do. We're talking about simple things to do. But God's not telling you, hey, this is a big time the sky thing. We're talking about nitty-gritty, down-to-earth things that you have to deal with every single day. And if you want to know the blueprint, I just gave you the blueprint. Transform me. And so that's what you can see in terms of what a transform man is. So we've got 12 personal things, 11 things that have to do with how you handle people. The next group will be what do we do with the government, which we all have a little problem with.